Hey, Grace Church, how you doing today? We're glad that you're joining us online. And uh, we're going to just do a small greeting right now. If you're with somebody watching, why don't you just turn to them and say, hey, I love you, man. And if you're by yourself, why don't you say that to yourself? I love you, man, too. And uh, so today we're going to continue in the book of Philippians. I'm so excited. And as we unfold this today, you're going to see that uh, God has kind of a sense of humor that this message was done long before uh, we knew that I was going to be doing it on camera and uh, before this virus came about. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. If you got your phones or whatever you're going to use, that'd be awesome. And today we're going to be looking at the whole concept of this series is joy in spite of circumstances. And I'm just going to say joy is a mystery. It really is. Joy is a mystery that you and I have got to understand. It is not based around our circumstances. It's based upon our relationship to the living God. And specifically today, what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at how God changes a life. And we're going to be in chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse number 9. So let me just jump right into the text this morning. This is what it says, Therefore God has highly exalted Him, that's Jesus, and upon Him given this name that is above every name, the name, so that the name of Jesus, so at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and in earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So the question then is, what does it mean to confess Jesus as Lord? That is a really important concept for you and I to understand. I believe that there are three factors involved in this idea of confessing Christ as Lord. First of all, I want you to notice that he is given the name. It doesn't say a name. It says the name. He is given the name, which is above every name. And so what is up with that? Well, when you think about the concept of name, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, always think of the idea of character, works, and reputation. So the name that Jesus has given, which is above every name, has to do with his character, his works, and his reputation. This means to exalt him, to confess him as Lord. It means literally we put him into a position as equal to the Father. We are saying to him that you're equal to the Father. That's the first aspect. Secondly, he is seen as the object of our worship. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. So he is the object of our worship, and the truth is, is you worship him, him, him now here on this planet, or you're forced to bow before him in a place where you wouldn't want to be. Third concept, he is to be confessed as Lord. What does that mean, confessed as Lord? The word Lord there probably is in all caps in your Bible, and literally what it means is it's the, it's the word Yahweh. It's, what, it's the concept of Yahweh. So we're confessing Jesus as Yahweh. So then the question is, what effect does that have on my life? If I confess Jesus as Yahweh, what, what, is, what is up with that? What does that mean? What, what do I get out of it? And the answer simply is this, is to confess Jesus as Yahweh results in the, in the idea that I get this, this concept of eternal life. So eternal life, let's just talk about eternal life for just a few minutes because eternal life is something that I believe the Western church, the modern church, does not understand. So normally when we think of eternal life, what we think of is we think of heaven. So do you have eternal life? Yeah, I'm going to heaven. 
And the idea is great. That's awesome. That's amazing. But that is not how the early church saw it. And that is not how, in particular, Jewish people saw it. That's not what they had in mind when it comes to eternal life. Eternal life is not just a timeline. It is a quality of life. It is not just a timeline. It is a quality of life. In fact, when you think about the rich young ruler, when he comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's not asking Jesus, what do I do to get to go to heaven? That was what he had in his mind. What he had in his mind is, what, did I, what do I have to do to have the God life right now here on this planet? What do I have to do to live the God life, the good life, the God life on this planet? This quality of life has two dimensions. There's God's part of this quality of life, and then there's my part of this quality of life. So that brings us to verse 12. We, we having fun yet? All right, good. Smile at me. I can sense your love coming back through the screen. Verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Now watch this term. Don't miss it. Underline it in your Bible. Highlight it. It says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. This is such a jam-packed verse of Scripture that you don't want to miss this. You don't want to, you don't want to pass by this in a fast way. So work out is my part. Work in is God's part. So I'm to work out my salvation. We're to work out what God is working in. The phrase work out is a farming term. Literally, it is a farming term. And what it, what it means is that you and I are to cultivate what God has already planted in our hearts. To work it out means that we're to cultivate it. It would be like this. It would be like if I was putting together a piece or a puzzle, uh, I don't have to invent any of the pieces. They're all there. All I have to do, my part of putting that puzzle together, is just making sure that I'm putting them in the right place. That's what it means to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You're putting a puzzle piece together. You don't invent it. You just, you just simply respond to what's already there. Notice the phrase with me, with fear and trembling. This is the attitude. I'm to work out. I'm to cultivate this thing. I'm to, I'm to cultivate this eternal life. So I, I cultivate it by some very specific things. But notice the attitude that I'm supposed to have is I'm supposed to have the idea of fear and trembling. So what does that mean? What, am I supposed to be shaking here? This is not a slavish terror, but a wholesome, serious caution. In other words, Listen to me carefully. Lean into your screen just a bit because you do not want to miss this. There should be nothing more important in your life than your salvation, than your eternal life, than your spiritual growth. There should be nothing more important than your spiritual growth. That is not your health. It's not your family. It's not your job. It's not your income. There should be nothing more important to you than your spiritual growth. And I'm not sure we get that. I'm not sure that we practice that. I think oftentimes spiritual growth is something that we look at as an option as, as opposed to an essential. And I'm just simply saying as we prioritize our life, and life is about a series of priorities, as we prioritize our life, we have to approach it with the fact that your spiritual life is, is the most important thing that you have. And I'm just simply saying if you don't care about it, nobody else is going to care about it. You've got to care deeply about your spiritual growth. 
And the reason is, is that we tend to drift. And as time goes on, we drift farther from God. We are drifters. That's true. I drift, you drift. We're all drifters. And so we have to be intentional with what, t- what brings us back, what that anchor is in our life that brings us back to Christ and, uh, and His principles and His words. So it's kind of like this. Several years ago, I got intentional about exercising and about weight training and about uh, doing all those things. I got serious about it. So I went through several different phases. First phase, uh, I, I just decided that I would get my weight down below 180. And so I worked on that for a bit. And then I reevaluated that goal. And I kind of, the second phase, I, I followed up with, uh, well, maybe I should just get it under 200. And, you know, that went along well for a while. And then the third phase was I'll develop a realistic attitude towards what my weight is. And then the fourth year, fourth phase is that, uh, well, I'll work out three days a week. And then now my goal is just to drive by the gym every once in a while. So let's go back to that word work. You know, you and I are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That word work is an interesting word. In the Greek word, it means to energize. It means to bring energy to it. God gives you the energy and desire, but there are certain tools that God has given to you and I that if you and I employ those tools, that we'll really truly be able to work out our our salvation with fear and trembling. So the first tool that God gives to us, there are four of them here. If you want to, you might want to jot these down if you have something to write with. The first tool that God gives us is this concept called the Bible, the Scripture. And, you know, we talk about it, but oftentimes, let's just be honest, this is church, right, where, you know, we're gathering together in the name of Jesus, and we're worshiping, and we're teaching, and we're doing all the things we normally do at church, except you're just watching me on screen. But the truth is, is that chances are, you go, you're, if you're like me, you go through phases where you're hit and miss with the Bible, right? Come on now, let's just be honest about that. Where you go through phases where you're red hot and you're excited about it and you are, you know, when we have a crisis like we're having right now, you're probably red hot thinking, God, is this the end of the age or what's going on? You know, how am I supposed to respond? And so you're opening up the book of Revelation, which is probably where you shouldn't start. Maybe you should start in the Gospel of John, but, but I'm just saying. And so right now you're probably red hot. You have a lot of time in your hands, right? You're all alone and and uh, you're not working probably like you used to work. Maybe you're working at home or maybe you have one of those essential businesses that you run. But I'm just saying probably you're in a phase of being red hot right now. But then that kind of wears off. And, and if you're like me, then we go into these phases where, well, you know, I got up late today and I don't really, I don't know, I've got things to do. And, and, uh, but let me just show you a verse of Scripture that I think is so relevant and so powerful and so important for you and I here today. And it's found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And this is what it says. All Scripture is breathed out. God breathed. There's two Greek words here that are put together that literally means that God has breathed out the Word of God. This is what we possess in our hands, the Word of God. These 66 books of the Bible are literally God-breathed. Yes, they were written by 40 different authors, and, and uh, the, it was done over 1,500 years of time. But we have exactly in our hands today exactly what God wants. You and I have exactly what God wants us to have. So let's look at this verse a little bit more closely. And let's talk about what we do with this Scripture and what this Scripture is all about. So this Scripture, according to 
God is breathed out and uh, it is profitable for teaching. That's instruction. How I live, what I'm supposed to be doing. It's important for us to, right now to know how I'm supposed to respond in crisis. So God gives us the Word of God to teach us. It's also for reproof. Sometimes you and I get walking astray, right? You and I start walking down the wrong path. And sometimes God uses a scripture that, that uh, just kind of jolts us and brings us right back to where we're supposed to be. And it's given to us for correction and for training in righteousness. Just like you go to a gym and train for, you know, being strong. And, you know, that's a, fa- that's a phase that a lot of people, if you look at Facebook, that's a phase that people are going through. Well, you and I should be just as excited about training every day in Scripture. So that when you and I have times like this, it doesn't catch us off guard. It doesn't cause us to panic. It doesn't cause us to move off the path. So we are to use it for training in righteousness. Now watch this next phrase. This is so good. This is worth the price of admission here today. Listen to me very carefully. That the man or woman of God may be complete, complete, equipped for every good work. Everything I need, God has given to me. He's given to me in the form of a tool as the Bible. And the Bible isn't just a, a telescope. It just isn't just something I read every day. The Bible is a telescope, not just to look at, but to look through. I'm to look at life through what God says. I'm to have the mind of Christ. That's what the Scripture says over and over and over again. And to have the mind of Christ, I must in every way begin the discipline of looking at life, looking at this virus through the lens of God, looking at isolation through the lens of God, That's the purpose of what the Word of God has to say. And then the second tool that God gives to us that's just as important and just as powerful is He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this a lot at Grace, but I want to remind you of just a couple things. Romans 8, 11 says this, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and it does dwell in you if you have confessed Christ, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give to your your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Give life to this mortal body. God gives you power. He gives you this sense of amazing work inside of you. And here's how the Holy Spirit works. This is probably the best way that I can explain it. So when a woman first becomes pregnant, maybe she doesn't even know that she's pregnant. You know, there's no signs yet. There's no, she's not feeling any different, maybe for the first few weeks. And then as time progresses... Her body begins to change. Her hormonal level begins to change. Everything about her body begins to change. And now everybody around her can see that she's pregnant. That's how it is with the Holy Spirit. When you first receive the Holy Spirit, in quietness, you get down on your knees, you confess Christ as your Savior, you get up off of your knees, and the truth is is that what happens at that moment in time is that The Spirit now is dwelling in you, and over time, as you yield to the Spirit, over time, as you surrender to the Spirit, over time, as you learn to depend upon the Spirit, everybody else around you can see that the Spirit of God is at work inside of your life. That's how it works. So God gives us, as a tool, the Holy Spirit in challenging times. The third thing, the third tool that God gives us, is He gives us circumstances like we're in right now, so that He can grow us and test us and and allow us to have all that we need. Proverbs twenty thirty says, Blows that wound cleanse away evil. Strokes make clean the innermost parts. That's a very strange passage. So let me see if I can unpack it for you. What it's saying is sometimes difficult times. 
Sometimes when life knocks me down and I feel like I'm down and out for the count, sometimes when that happens, God is using this to strengthen me in the inner person. And he, he does it on a regular basis. Hard things make me grow. When I'm at ease, the truth is, is when life is going well, I'm not motivated. I am not, I'm not searching. I'm not stretching. I'm not doing any of those things. I'm just surviving in life. So God brings into our life circumstances. Hebrews 5.8 says, this is, this is really interesting. I love this passage. Hebrews 5.8 says, this is speaking of Jesus, speaking and talking about Jesus. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus himself learned as a human obedience through suffering. He learned, he grew. He grew in stature, he grew in spirit because he suffered. And you know what's also interesting? Biologists have long recognized this concept. Biologists have discovered this idea that living creatures, living things have to have adversity. In fact, in perfect environments, they don't survive well. So adversity is a natural part of the process that God has brought us in and through, and the purpose of adversity in our life is simply this. It is to, it is to allow us to grow stronger and more powerful and more dynamic in our faith. That's what adversity does inside of our lives. Uh, as strange as that might sound, the problems that we're going through right now are actually good for us. They're good for our soul. They're good for our spirit. And it is a very powerful thing. Think about weight training for just a minute. The purpose of lifting weights is, and the most important repetition that you're going to do, if you're doing reps on weights, the most important rep you do is your last one. And the purpose of that last rep is to bring your muscles to a complete exhaustion. And that's how you grow. That's how you get stronger. That's how you have muscles like Pastor Dan. <laughs> is when you bring your muscles to exhaustion, uh, the goal in weight training is to achieve total muscle failure. And through total muscle failure, what you're going to discover is strength and power. The fourth tool that God has given to us is His acceptance and love. Believe it or not, His accept acceptance and love are powerful tools. Lamentations chapter 3 says this, How enduring is God's loyal love. The eternal has inexhaustible compassion. Here they are every morning new. Your faithfulness, God, is as, as broad as the day. Have courage, for the eternal is all that I will need. God's loyal love, God's loyal love to your life is such a powerful th thing. I introduced this concept last week, and it was, I, I'm just going to remind you again, the most life-changing thing you can do, the most powerful thing you can do is to learn to grow in God's loyal love. For it to become bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, the more, that, the more that you have childlike faith in that, the greater capacity you have to respond to life and to God and to every circumstance that comes your way. So life has a way of making me a skeptic. Do you agree with that? You know, as I get, as I get all sorts of stuff poured on me, it has the ability of pushing me down and making me a skeptic. And uh, there's a really interesting scene in uh, a book called Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. And I want to show you just a short clip from that, and I just want to respond to it a little bit. So watch this.
miss you so much. You've grown. Every year you grow, so shall I. Here's the truth. The more I grow as a Christian, the more I become Christ-like, the larger Christ becomes. But here's something else that happens. The larger I grow as a Christian, the more I grow as a Christian, the more truth grows. And the more truth grows, the more power it has in my life. And so Lucy, as she sees Aslan in this allegory, sees him as a little girl, now she's older, and she, her response is, you've grown. And that's how it is in the Christian life. It really is. The more you grow, the larger Christ becomes in your life. The more you see him at every, tur at every turn. And the greater this truth that I am worth God's son, the more precious that becomes. The more you become like Christ, the more precious that becomes. And my prayer for you and my hope for you is that you'll take these four tools this week and that you'll just go back over them. I hope you took good notes because these are the things that God has given to you so that you can have a changed life. Can I pray for you today? Let me pray for you. Lean into the screen and we'll pray together. So Father, I thank you, God, for your great grace in our life and I pray, God, that your spirit will take my words and use them for your glory and your honor. I pray, Father, that they'll not soon be forgotten because they're your words, God, and I pray that, God, that you'll do amazing things in our, in our lives this week. Draw us close to you. Lord, allow us to see Christ at every turn. And we'll praise you, God, and thank you, God, for what you accomplish. And uh, Lord God, we're just looking for you. We're just looking for you. We just want the good life. And I pray these things in Jesus' holy and powerful and awesome name. Amen. Hey, I hope to see you back next weekend. I'm going to be here. And uh, I hope you tune in back again, and we'll just do this again. God bless.